why must the portrayal of computers, <laughs> real world computers, in a in in any sort of docudrama or anything that if it's supposed to be remotely related to real life computing, why do they look so fake? <laughs> Wait, you mean your computers don't work like this? No. <laughs> This is Movie Bite, episode 66. Movie Bite is a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, trailers, TV shows, and more. We're recording on Thursday, October 24th, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and joining me to leak the secrets of the nation is Chad Hopkins. How are you, Chad? Hello, TJ. I'm doing all right. Leaking secrets and all. Good. Excellent. I, I was waiting for you. I, I, I always have kind of pegged you as the type to join WikiLeaks. So I assume that's oh, what you've yeah. done now after watching The Fifth Estate. Yeah. Something I've kept secret from all of you so far is I'm a master hacker and, you know, this is my kind of thing. Well, there should be no secrets in the world, Chad. So don't keep it a secret anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, it's out there now. So now it's out there. So now you know. Better watch your back. Better watch out. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a little bit of follow up, Chad, um, and uh, I think both of us really liked this article. I know you you commented on it on Facebook when I posted it, and uh, this is an article uh, that's follow up for last week when we talked about Captain Phillips, and we talked a little bit, Chad, about how uh, the crew wasn't too happy with the film, the the real life crew that they thought it was telling uh, lies, if you will, and or or half-truths or untruths or they, they just weren't too happy because they didn't think captain phillips was that great of a guy right and so uh peter Stretta has a piece over on slash film about captain uh, phillips responding to this and i thought uh um paul greengrass did a uh a remarkable job of responding to this oh yeah this was a really really cool response and this is the sort of thing that i mean i i addressed this a little bit in the show last week chad but i didn't know how far to go with it because i i really honestly didn't know uh, and so he said a lot of the things I was thinking uh, were probably going on. Like, you know, they addressed it a little bit in the film how the crew, uh, especially those they kind of mentioned that were on, uh, on in the Union, uh, uh-huh. were, were, were kind of groaning, complaining about, well, we're kind of in danger here. I mean, it's like, well, what did you guys sign up for? <laughs> you know, right. Um, you kind of signed up for a dangerous job to start with. So uh, this is really long, and I can't read it all, and there's even more than I've posted on Movie Byte, and so you definitely should go and check this out. Uh, but he, he, he responds uh, very well to, to the criticisms that the film is receiving and that, you know, don't assume that he didn't do any homework and that he didn't know that some of this controversy might come up even. Uh, so, yeah, very, very good, very well, uh, well done response. Right. And I, I think that's probably the most satisfying part about it is knowing that he did his research on this. Um, yeah. He tells us how extensively he looked into the background and looked into the events and interviewed people. And it, it wasn't, he wasn't just taking Captain Phillips' word for it uh, because it's based on his book. Um, he did his own research and came to conclusions. And now he's defending those conclusions. And he did it in a really uh, well done way. Yeah, he says here, in particular, I'm confident that Captain Phillips did not take an irresponsible route along the coast of Somalia and ignore a specific warning as alleged in the press. The route he took was similar to that taken by many ships of many nationalities at that time and since. The problem of piracy at that time was the pirate bands had begun using motherships, which enabled them to strike at ships throughout the Indian Ocean up to 800 miles out to sea, if not further. 
The film shows clearly Captain Phillips receiving warnings about pirate attacks, putting into place security measures on board ship. The film also shows a vigorous debate with some members of the crew who wanted the ship to deviate from its route in order to prevent attack. And I show Captain Phillips, as I believe occurred, uh, arguing that there was no point deviating the route because pirate bands with motherships could attack them wherever they went. And yeah, I mean that's the sort of response. I mean he didn't he didn't just slap something up there on the screen. He really went went and did his homework, right? So yeah, I I really enjoyed this, and and it put some enjoyment back into the film for me. I think not that I didn't enjoy the film. Like I said, I I think I would have enjoyed the film regardless, and the film was a good film on its own. But this I think this helps kind of put the film back into a good place, in in my opinion. Right, it gives it a little bit more credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, with a high-profile film like this, you would you would assume they would. I mean, come on, right? They they went and did their research. I mean, come on. I I don't know. Anyway, so that's a little bit of follow up there. That'll be in the show notes. Uh, MovieBite.com slash mb podcast slash sixty six is where you'll find those. Uh, be sure to check this out. Well worth the read. Uh, we'll link to it there. So find it there. All right. Well, Chad, this week I I thought uh, and in spoiler alert for our upcoming review of the Fifth Estate, I did not enjoy the film. Uh, and I don't know that we'll be able to t- how long we'll be able to talk about it. So I thought this was a good week because I mentioned when we when we tabled Trailer Bite that we might bring it back from time to time instead of making it a regular feature of the show. We would bring it back when we felt it warranted. And I yeah. think we have a little bit of time to to delve into Trailer Bite. What do you what do you think? Sounds good to me. All right, so uh, let's let's do a little bit of a Trailer Bite here. In a world. In a world. In a world. All right, so this week for Trailer Bite, we have uh, Thor The Dark World clips featuring Natalie Portman and uh, Chris Hemsworth, Building Ender's World, a behind-the-scenes featurette, an almost-human uh, TV show trailer, two more clips from Mandela, The Long Walk to Freedom, uh, The Book Thief International trailer, really looking forward to that one, uh, and a first trailer, a first trailer right here. We're going to talk about it. Captain America, The Winter Soldier. You know what, Chad? We're going to go out of order because uh, – I put this in the in, in last, but this is exciting. This is this is really is. exciting. I I really really love the first Captain America film. Did you like Me too. it? Yeah, I did. And and somebody in the in the silly comments, um, <laughs> I think it was Ben. Uh, yeah, he said that he didn't like the uh, his comments are not are taking longer to load than usual. Sometimes, discuss. yeah, I think Discus is having problems right now. Yes, I've noticed that. Well, I remember him saying that uh, he he didn't uh, he didn't care for Captain America the first Avenger, and I think he's crazy. That's nuts. That, yeah, I thought probably, it was lots of fun. I thought it, I think it might be my favorite pre-Avengers film from Marvel. Um, really? Yeah, I think so. I'm just trying to think through all the films. I mean, Iron Man is really good. I really liked the Hulk with Edward Norton, but I still think I like Captain America better than those. Um, Iron Man 2 was terrible. Uh, Thor was not great. So, um, yeah, Captain America, the, Winter Sol- uh, the first Avenger, I thought was great. So here we have, I'll just play you a little bit, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Coming up on the drop zone, Cap. You do anything fun Saturday night? Well, all the guys in my barbershop quartet are dead, so... No, not really. You know, if you ask Kristen out from statistics, you'd probably say yes. That's why I don't ask. Too shy or too scared? Too busy! Is he wearing a parachute? No. So that's a little bit from the uh, trailer. Uh, it's quite a long trailer. Uh, two hour, uh, Two hours. Two minutes and 26 uh, seconds. <laughs> 
Yeah, two-hour trailer. That's the movie there. Um, so that's just a little bit. Obviously, this film is going to feature uh, Black Widow uh, quite a bit more. Was she? I don't think she was even in the first Avenger, Captain America, the first Avenger. No, she wasn't. Yeah, so um, it's going to feature her and, of course, uh, Steve Rogers and, uh, you know, going to be some uh, morality questions going on about, uh, you know, things S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing. And I think they're even – have you watched the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. yet? No, oh, I'm chat. so sad. Well, they've been kind of, I think, setting this morality question up even a little bit in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., although S.H.I.E.L.D. is obviously the protag- our protagonist. The question is, the things that they do, are they ethical or are they unethical? Y- you know, they're they're sure they're doing good things in their opinions, but, you know, is their opinion the only one that counts? And, and these sorts of things. I mean, that question isn't very big in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it is there. And I think we're definitely going to go down that road in Captain, Amer- uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the quotes that stands out for me in the in the uh, trailer is, this isn't freedom, this is fear. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really cool. It's a really good quote. Yeah, and I think that it's going to deal with some of these sticky issues. I mean, I, I, for whatever reason, Chad, I mean, I know there's people out there that they really like either they're really dark films or they're really, you know, happy, cla- you know, light kind of you know, all the all the good guys wear white hats and all the bad guys wear black hats. And and then, you know, some people just prefer, you know, movies about bad guys. I I I definitely dig the movies that deal with moral gray areas. And and especially when you're dealing with a hypothetical situation uh surrounding superheroes that don't exist in the real world. So you have to question if the if they did exist, what would the ethics and the morality be of what's going on and what what an agency like Shield is doing to protect the world and and how do you wrestle with those moral dilemmas? I really like that sort of thing. So um yeah. th- th- I'm I'm happy to see that in the trailer. Uh, of course I'm gonna be happy to see my favorite Avenger mm, arguably maybe my favorite Avenger back <laughs> on the screen. So uh who doesn't like Captain America? Yeah, for uh, sure. So, you know, he gets a, I think sometimes he gets a little bit of a bad rap for being a, uh, what would you say, a goody two-shoes or something, or, or a little too old-fashioned, but at the same yeah. <laughs> at the same time, while I don't want my good guys to just wear the white hat and they're the good guys because they are, I don't mind a really good, you know, clean superhero, and that's what Steve Rogers is. Yeah, and I think bringing him into the modern day like they're doing for the this new film and like they touched on in the Avengers is going to bring a really interesting dynamic to the table. Yeah. My, my only sadness in all this and bringing in, and they had to do it. They had to bring captain America forward to the current time. And in the way captain America as a hero is set up, they had to originate him in the older time. That, right. that makes sense. It all makes sense to me. My, my, my sadness in this is that we lose Peggy Carter in this transition, right? which I really liked. She was great. So that's it's really unfortunate. And we know that she's you know, we know that she we, we can't really bring her forward in time because we've already seen that she's a part of the past. She went yeah. on and had a life. So, right. Uh, anyway, that's that's my only sadness with this. So <laughs> probably shouldn't belabor this one too long. Uh, if unless you have anything else to say, we'll move on to the next one. Sounds good. Okay, so while we're on Marvel films, let's talk about uh, Thor The Dark World. I've got a couple of clips here, and uh, they're, they're pretty good, pretty fun. All right, so Jane is seeing uh, Thor off in the distance. She's walking towards him. Typical. Jane. Sorry, I just 
She slaps him. Make sure him. you were real. It's been a very strange day. Oh, I am. Jane, what? Slaps him again. Where were you? Where were you? Heimdall could not see you. I was right here where you left me. I was waiting. Right, so she goes on to complain at him for having been on Earth and not coming to visit her. Uh, all, all very fun stuff. And uh, the film's coming out quite soon, so... Uh, this, this is, uh, you know, I, 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 I know some people, you know, like, like, uh, Fizz tr- uh, talks about how he tries to avoid trailers and clips and spoilers and things. And I, I can't help it. I just eat this stuff up. So, yeah, I normally try to avoid them, but, uh, maybe since it, I'm on the podcast with you, I yeah. don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember you talking about that too. I think both you and Fizz are constantly on my case going, I'm not going to watch that stuff. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, that's coming out on November the 8th, and that's actually uh, – we've, of course, already uh, scheduled that, put that in the Movie Bite schedule. Um, yep. So that's that's coming up in a couple of episodes, so that's going to be fun and exciting. Um, and then this other clip uh, features a lot more action and fighting. you got Sif, uh, uh, you know, doing her thing. So make, make sure to check these out linked up in the show notes. Um, and I'm hopeful, Chad, that this is going to be better than the first Thor film was. I, I'm hopeful, and I think it will be. But uh, to be honest, these these clips didn't really get me excited. I, I thought they were a little silly, um, and especially laid side by side with the new Captain America trailer. That looks just based on these clips. Captain America looks a whole lot better, and I'm looking a lot more forward to it. But like I said, I am expecting the second Thor movie to be better than the first one. It's just these tra- these clips didn't do it for me. Yeah, well, I think the parts that have really got me excited for Thor, and this is more just like, oh, haha, funny, yeah, this is this is going to be good. Um, the things that got me more excited for Thor The Dark World is the interaction with Loki, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think that – and we've already seen that stuff, and we know that's in the film. But as far as the kind of the levity and the and the, the sort of thing that are, that we see in these clips, I mean, I don't know where else you go with Thor. I mean, he's he's uh, kind of a really powerful uh you know we so powerful we would consider him a god here on earth as as they you know as they did in olden times according to the mythology of the of the movies um and and where else do you go with a character like that other than to have a little humor and have a little fun and and right. and and we've definitely seen i think uh chris hemsworth uh growing as an actor and really able to take on that role and play it both serious in the scenes that we've already seen with Loki, as well as this humor that we see in these clips that I posted uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. I think there's no arguing that Chris Hemsworth is the perfect Thor. I can't imagine anybody else in the role. Um, No. And he's definitely improved with time. And so I'm excited to see him and what he brings to the table. This, this bout. Uh, So we'll see. Take care how you speak. He is of Asgard, and he is my brother. He killed over 80 men. He's adopted. <laughs> uh, yes, so anyway. Uh, yeah, so that's those are in the show notes. Let's see what else we have here. Uh, oh, Building Ender's World, a behind-the-scenes featurette. Now, this is pretty fun. I, I actually, speaking of, of Ender's Game, I just finished the book. Oh, you finished it. Had, I, I'm still I'm behind then. How, 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 how close are you? I think I still have a few more chapters to go. The chapters are really long. Tell me, uh, yeah, I, I have no concept of chapter breaks because I was listening to the um, audiobook and they did not announce chapters. So let me see if I can get my book. What is the and last thing you remember reading about? I don't remember, and that's the issue. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been about a week since I last picked up the book. I've just been busy. Has he has he already been to command school? No, not yet. I don't think he's left the games yet. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so you're, yeah, you're probably only halfway. Okay. Peter and, um, 
what's her name? Valentine just did the whole Demosthenes thing. Oh yeah, you're about halfway. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's very strange. The, the, I would say the book is very strange. Not that I didn't enjoy it, not that I wouldn't probably I, I probably will listen to it again or or hopefully maybe even pick up a physical book and read it. Uh, imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh yeah, it's it's a very strange book. I think some of the strangeness probably comes from it being written in the 80s and the idea of sci-fi was very different then, I think. Um you know, I've never actually read an Asimov book. Um, but he, there's a, on my audio book, I have the 20th anniversary edition, uh, and Orson Scott Card actually has a, about a 45 minute thing at the end where he talks about the, the book and the writing of it. And he talks about Asimov being a huge inspiration to him. So, uh-huh. uh, I don't know if anybody who has read any of his books, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with some of his work and certainly I've seen the movie iRobot, which I hear is nothing like the book, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, it, very, very interesting, very strange, uh, and definitely looking forward to the movie. I mean, being able to visualize in my head some of this stuff, but then really looking at this behind-the-scenes featurette, uh, it really kind of takes life. And, and I think they're definitely going to uh, modernize some concepts from the book that were written in the 80s, uh, which is oh, a good yeah, thing. For which sure. is definitely a good thing. But uh, what do you think? Did you watch this uh, featurette? I did, and I thought it was really cool. And um, something that really interests me is I think I read something the other day where Orson Scott Card said a while back that this book was unfilmable because of how much of it takes place in Ender's head. Oh, yes. And, uh, he, he, so, in fact, he talked about this on the audio book, actually. Right. Um, he, he, he said that uh, what he – because he tried and tried and tried to write the screenplay. He tried to get it made into a film, and he kept turning you know people down. Screenwriters would come up to him with these concepts, and he'd be like, no, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. And then he tried his own hand at writing the screenplay, and no, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Well, apparently – and I'm about to start on this other audiobook. book. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called Ender's Shadow, which is from the perspective of Bean. Uh, have, uh-huh. you, have you gotten to the point where we've met Bean yet? I'm not sure. I don't recognize the name. Okay. Um, and I think, and so what he, so, so anyway, the book is, is, is the same events, but from a different perspective, uh, and not in Ender's head. And so he said, he, he kind of had this epiphany where he realized that the, the, an Ender's game movie would need to be, um, a, an adapt, an adaptation of both of those books so that it didn't have to be in Ender's head. Uh huh. Which I think is a really, and, and that's why ultimately now they're, they're, they're moving forward with the movie. So that huh. that's kind of the scoop behind that. So wait, the the movie is based on both books? Correct. That's my understanding oh. is that because because you're right, Ender's Game, the book takes place so much in Ender's head. Uh and right. so much of the things are just you know, it's not first person, but you're getting Ender's perspective. Like you're it's it's very much like uh the Harry Potter series in that in that way in that you're inside Harry's head and here you're inside Ender's head. And and so that makes the film very hard to film, I think, especially in the it's quite different from Harry Potter in the way that it's done. I'm, I was just using that as a comparative example. Um, uh-huh. And so I haven't like I said, I'm, I'm going to be starting under shadow and hopefully maybe even finish that before the movie comes out. Um, but that's uh, that's from a different perspective. So that's very interesting to me. I hadn't known that before. Yeah. Um, um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next if this film does really well. Because there are 16 books yeah. uh, related to Ender. Uh, actually, a couple of them have yet to be published, but uh, 16 books total related or that take place in this uni- universe. Yeah. So, 
it's definitely yeah. even though I found it a little strange, it's definitely it piqued my interest enough that I'm definitely interested to uh, to find to read more of these books. And I I have a couple of the audio books, and so I'm going to be uh, listening to those as I have time. And uh, yeah, it definitely made me. Uh, I think it'll give me a different perspective. I usually. If I'm going to read a book that a movie is based on, I want to do it before I see the movie, usually. Yeah, for sure. Even though some people say, well, that's the wrong way to do it because you'll you'll ruin the movie and then it won't be any good because books are always better than the movie. And that's not universally true, but that is a good general rule of thumb. But I generally find I don't necessarily enjoy the film less, although in the case of Harry Potter, sometimes I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because the movies were stupid sometimes. Uh, yeah. But that aside, like I, I – um, Ah, slight diversion. I had actually not read the fourth book when I saw the fourth movie, and I still thought the fourth movie was stupid. Anyway, <laughs> anyhow, um, oh, an interesting fact uh, that I found out from watching this behind-the-scenes featurette, I hadn't realized it, but when I saw director Gavin Hood, I thought, boy, he looks really familiar, so I looked him up. He has been in an episode of uh, Stargate SG-1 uh, Season 8 called uh, – episode 3, it was called Lockdown. He played Colonel Alexei Vasilov. Uh, who was a body for the uh, bad guy Anubis. Um, uh, it's complicated, but you know what I'm talking about if you've ever watched an episode of Stargate SG-1. Uh, so that was very interesting, and apparently he's an actor turned director. So that's cool. that's interesting. Uh, oh, he also directed X-Men Origins Wolverine, So, which I don't hate as much as most people, but we you know still think it could have been better, but we will try not to hold that against him. All right, so check check that out. That'll be in the show notes. A uh, pretty cool behind the scenes clip talking about even talking about you know creating the visual effects years years ago. You know, visualizing what it was going to look like. So uh, here's one that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and to kind of my my uh, fall TV watching schedule has mostly filled up, but you know some of the things I'm willing to cut out if this turns out to be a good show because I'm not happy with a couple of the shows I'm watching. Uh, and that is Almost Human. Uh, this is uh, executive produced technically by J.J. Abrams, whatever that means these days. Now that he's a big, big wig making you know big films, but I really liked uh, Chad. I really liked Abrams' last show, Fringe. Did you watch Fringe? No, I, like oh, I, like I said word. before, I've never really watched TV. Okay, all right, much. All right. <laughs> you uh, Fringe is well worth it. Uh, so this okay. is the trailer for Almost Human, an upcoming uh, TV show with Carl Urban. And, and this is an interesting uh, thing, Chad. We're seeing a lot more crossover, I think, from uh, films and TV shows. Like we're seeing TV actors acting in films and we're seeing film actors acting in TV. It's a very interesting phenomenon. We're seeing a narrowing of the gap between those two mediums, which is very much a good thing, I think. Uh-huh. We're seeing TV become much more cinematic. So this is a, a trailer for the upcoming TV show. Forty-eight. every police officer has issued the latest in weapons technology. Detective Kennex, I've been assigned to you. An android partner. I am concerned, Detective. <laughs> he throws his android out the window. I'm not out the door. One of those things. Like how you're not. Have you read Tilden's profile of you? Fenix is suffering from depression and psychological rejection of his synthetic body part. And uh, and this guy, uh, Carl Urban's character, has a synthetic leg. Apparently he's lost a leg. So it has a little bit of an iRobot flavor in that regard. Uh, yeah. So very, very interesting. I'm assuming you watch the trailer like a good boy in preparation for the show. <laughs> I did. Uh, it, the concept is pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if the trailer itself got me excited for the show more than the concept itself. I think yeah. uh, it could present a lot of good opportunities and Carl Urban's a good actor and um, having this idea of an, a robot sort of developing human emotions or a human personality isn't something that is completely new, but I think 
uh, I don't, I don't, I don't remember seeing it a lot in TV shows, and so it might you be to something watch, to explore. You need to watch Star Trek: The Next Generation, man. <laughs> yes, I do. Because <laughs> that's that's dealt with much. I mean, with with the character of Data, which made for some of the show's best moments, honestly. Right. So yeah, um, very interested in the show. Are you going to break your rule and watch some TV for the show? Are you that interested? Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, it's not a rule that I have. It's a time management I thing know, that I, I have. Just, I'm just trying to, you know. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing, and this is the reason I make time for TV shows, Chad. Uh, here I am running a movie website, but often, very often, I find that TV shows afford a much better storytelling um, uh, place. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of a, a better format. Because you can tell, especially nowadays, like in older shows, this wasn't true because they would do these one-hour episodes or 30-minute episodes or whatever, and they were very much standalone. You didn't need to know what came before or what came after. You didn't care. It was all very – right now, here's our thing. Here's our weekly story. Here's our monster of the week, whatever. And now right. TV shows are really starting to take advantage. They're starting to realize – and this is what I've wanted for a long time. They're uh, starting to realize, well, we have – if we get ordered for a full season, we have 24, 22 to 24 episodes in which we can tell a really long arc of a story and make a really big cinematic event. And, you know, Fringe was very much that of that flavor. I think uh, Lost, of course, is very much of that flavor. Although Breaking I never, Bad. yeah, Breaking Bad. Um, uh, all the shows that I watch now are, are it, it, in some way or another, are very much of that character. And that's what I really like in a show. And I find that that provides a longer you know, format for telling a story, but not not longer in a way that you get, you know, like, Ugh, I'm bored now because you get them in hour doses and you have a right. really action packed hour. You, you, you know, you progress in the story or you degress depending on where you're at in the story. Maybe the heroes are falling, whatever. And, and you, you know, you go through the entire season. So I, I highly recommend finding a couple of shows and these are going to be different for every person chad i mean you may not like the same shows i like but i i right. i basically have a, a set of shows that i make sure that i watch because i really like the way the characters are developing or the way the story is developing or whatever so cool yeah i i guess my point is i am running movie bite because i like cinematic things i like cinematic films and tv is becoming more and more cinematic yeah for sure um all right, so we have uh, two clips. Uh, we won't spend too much time here, but uh, two clips for Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. And I have to say that I'm uh, really looking forward to this film. This is uh, one of two films that uh, – I don't know whether this one will have any Oscar potential. Surely the next one that I talk about will. Um, but but you know maybe there's some Oscar, Oscar potential here. I don't know. Have you heard any Oscar buzz about this one? I haven't, but uh, Idris Elba definitely looks – like he might. I mean, it certainly looks like the type of film that's probably bidding for for an Oscar, perhaps. I mean, and it deals with issues of slavery and you know oppressed people, which is always worth exploring. Uh, and and uh, you know the plight of of the you know people and the equality there in in Africa. And of course, Idris Elba. I haven't seen him in much, but he's been great in what I have seen him in. Uh, so in I, these two clips, uh, have you know definitely showcase Idris Elba's work and and what he can do. So definitely check those out. Yeah. One more. I'm really looking forward to this, Chad. This is The Book Thief, uh, starring, of course, Jeffrey Rush and uh, Emily Watson. Um, both, I believe, have been at least nominated for Oscars. I believe hasn't Rush – or I mean, hasn't Emily Watson uh, won an Oscar, I believe? I think you have those switched. Maybe I, I think, do. I think Rush has won. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then and then we've got a newcomer, uh, Sophie Nelis as uh, Liesel Memminger, 
Uh, this is this looks fantastic. This looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, it takes place in uh, World War II, uh, and they're hiding a Jew. But uh, here's here's just a little bit of the trailer. She's uh, stealing a book for that they're burning. The German soldiers are burning books, and she's stealing. Oh, it's Papa, who is he, Papa? His name is Max. He needs help. Are you hiding from Hitler? Yeah, I'm a Jew. I brought you something. You're full of wonders. You're stealing books. All right, so make sure to check this out. Uh, this this film, I believe, is going to be a really good film. And uh, there's definitely Oscar buzz about this film. Yeah, it looks great. And I'm uh, hoping to read the book before the film comes out. Oh, very good. I'm, I'm obviously I'm not going to have a chance to do that. But um, yeah, I mean, the film opens on November 8th. And uh, let me see. Did I put that into the movie bite schedule? Yes, I did. Uh, uh, you know what? I said it opens on November 8th in my piece. Uh, oh, yeah. In some places and it opens wide on November 15th. There, there's, there's a discrepancy I was looking at. So we're yeah. gonna we're gonna be reviewing it on Movie Byte podcast in a couple weeks. Yeah, and we get a new John Williams score out of it too. Oh, is this is this John Williams? It is. Okay, cool. It's you, exciting. You'll be you'll be happy to hear that. I will be very happy. And you know, we we only have so many uh, John Williams scores left. We're I mean, because he's he's nearing the end of his life. So yeah, uh, it, it's kind of sad, but you know, it's it's also you know, much as I I think that uh, you know. J- Many problems as I have with John Williams scores. At the same time, <laughs> I recognize that he's a giant in the industry, and that uh, the more scores we can get from him as we go here, the better. So right, and and it's good to see him still working. Like he's really putting and and his uh, f- frankly, his score for Lincoln is one of his better works. You know, yeah, his past couple have been very very good. Yeah, so uh, definitely not. Uh, he's definitely improving. I think as he as he goes. So. Uh, yeah, check this out. The Book Thief. Very much looking forward to this film. Uh, it just has a really, really great look to it. I'm sure it's going to be a good story. Um, and I've there's been a couple of World War II movies of this stripe and vein that I've enjoyed. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Well, Chad, uh, should we talk about The Fifth Estate? I suppose we should. Uh, all right. So this film was released to theaters on October the 18th. It had a budget of $28 million. And it made a whopping 1.7 million over the weekend. I think we can call this safely an unmitigated disaster, Chad. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Sorry for this film, but uh. yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> its current worldwide total is 3.7 million. And uh, Rotten Tomatoes says it's heavy on detail and melodrama, but missing the spark from its remarkable real-life inspiration. The Fifth Estate mostly serves as a middling showcase for Benedict Cumberbatch's remarkable talent. Directed by Bill Condon of uh, uh, somewhat infamously of Breaking uh, Breaking Dawn, uh, writers Daniel Berg. He wrote Daniel Berg wrote the book that this film is based on. David Lee also wrote a book from which some facts are taken. Uh, co-wrote, I believe, with Luke Harding. Uh, Josh Singer is credited with an adaptation. I assume that's the screenplay. Um, and so it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Daniel Bruhl, Peter P- uh, Capaldi, David Thewlis, uh, Elisa. Vikander, Stanley Tucci, and Laura Lenny. Oh, and uh, Alexander Sadig, although he didn't have a very big um, part. Since I know him, I put him in the uh, credits that I read here. Music by Carter Burwell. So tell us a little bit about this film, Chad. Okay. 
a dramatic thriller based on real events that reveals the quest to expose the deceptions and corruptions of power that turned an internet upstart into the 21st century's most fiercely debated organization. All right, Chad. We have to dive in. We have to talk about this film because we said we would. We watched it and we have we have thoughts and opinions. They we we would you would you say you enjoyed this film, Chad? Uh, that's a tough question, TJ. <laughs> um, can I just say that I enjoyed Benedict Cumberbatch? Yes, you can say that. I certainly okay. enjoyed Benedict Cumberbatch. Then that that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, I enjoyed uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Brule, Daniel Brule. Oh yes, for sure. Um, now some people, some some critics have said that Daniel Brule uh, should not have been paired with Benedict Cumberbatch because he's not the, not as good of an actor. I, I very much disagree. I thought he had a really good presence in Rush. I really enjoyed him as an actor in Rush. I really have enjoy, I really enjoyed him here. I thought that he brought a great presence and contrast to Benedict Cumberbatch. I thought that he was just as intense in his own way and and really brought great talent uh to the to the uh to the film. As well as um uh what's her name? Alicia Vikander, who's the the European girl, the the girlfriend of of uh Brule's character Daniel Berg. Um, uh-huh. I thought all three of those did a pretty fantastic job. Uh, yeah. You know, we got to see, of course, uh, David Thewlis, uh, Professor Remus Lupin, uh, through those of us who are familiar with Harry Potter. So that was, that was good. That was fun. Um, who else? Uh, t- uh, Peter. Oh, go ahead. Peter Capaldi is the next doctor in Doctor Who. So I've heard. So I've yeah. heard. I've, I don't watch Doctor Who, so don't. Um, me neither. It's on my list, but uh, I haven't watched it. And he was in World War Z. Yeah, um, I, I put another World War Z reference here somewhere. Oh, okay, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, Stanley Tucci, of course, he's always fun. I felt like he was underused here. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, I guess he can't have a lead role in everything that he's ever in. <laughs> here, here, here's uh, kind of the interesting thing, Chad, about this film. I'm disappointed that it didn't do well, more because that means that people aren't interested in the subject, and this right. is this subject needs to be discussed. This subject is one that I, the reason I went to see the film is because I I think that it's something of great importance. Yeah. Um, I, I'm disappointed with the way the film handled the subject for the most part. I think, but it's something that really needs to be talked about. And the fact that opening weekend didn't do more business has less to do with the fact that it wasn't a great film and more to do with the fact that people were simply not interested to see the subject and to talk about the subject and to you know for that to be on their radar. That's that's my opinion and my takeaway. Yeah, uh, I agree. And it's a shame because uh, privacy and right to privacy and uh, subsequently right to information is a really important issue. Yeah, especially when the government is is, uh, involved. I'm kind of torn right down the middle on this, Chad. I – in general, I think our government and, and pretty much any government really for that matter um, has way too many secrets. Like why do our governments have that many secrets? I mean I, I really don't think that has a, a place in a free society. Um, if, if things are that, that delicate and that shady and that you know uh, ticking time bomb type of thing and if, if, if the secrets that our government and, and any other government is keeping puts nations at risk and puts people's lives at risk – then we should do away with those secrets. They should, we should not have those sorts of secrets. Maybe in wartime, you, if legitimate wartime, I will I will uh, make a uh, delineation there. In legitimate wartime, I can see how some secrets of of a sensitive nature would be necessary. But for the most part, I I just 
I'm not happy with some of the things that my government is doing. And right. uh, so that's why I think this subject and this film is uh, definitely one that should have piqued more interest. I'm, I'm disappointed that it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah, all. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. I, I mean, it's, it's a shame, but yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and so, like I said, as far as the film itself goes, though, Chad, you, you've already mentioned this. Um, I've already mentioned this. Cumberbatch, Brule. I mean, the act. I mean, the acting was was great, and you can't fault the acting. What what I fault here, I think, um, is the direction from Bill Condon. And I suppose to those that didn't like the Twilight series, it comes as no surprise. Yeah. Well, the direction, and I thought the script was pretty choppy oh, too garbage it was absolute garbage i mean and, yeah. and any even a good director writing a bad script uh can be pretty uh it can be pretty daunting and challenging although you can't overcome that if you're a good director but if you're if you're writing on a bad script uh you're gonna have trouble and i think that's where this film kind of falls apart it it feels like it's all over the place it's just it doesn't know what it wants to do or where it wants to be or or what what kind of a film it even is and and they've they've tried to make this film into a thriller and and it's not a thriller i mean it, no. it's not it's a docudrama <laughs> it's it should have been a docudrama yeah um so yeah i mean my disappointment with this film is is uh far reaching i wanted it to be a better film same here especially with cumberbatch attached yeah and and especially since it it seemed mostly fair i felt in its treatment and dealing with all the involved parties uh Assange was pretty much kind of what I expected. Maybe they put a little more menace to him than I would have thought. I, I really think that uh, as far as kind of the arrogant, greedy, uh, greediness and the certainly the big misstep toward the end of the film, which I really was a misstep as far as I'm concerned. Uh, right. I, I think they they nailed that. You know, I can't I can't claim to be an authority on Assange, but I've always had like this. You know, for the most part, except for that misstep, I felt like he was mostly trying to do the right thing. And I right. feel like they've they've done a good job with that here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I was happy with that treatment, even though Assange himself, of course, Assange is not happy because it, it, the the film is based on Daniel Berg's uh, viewpoint and opinion. And Daniel Berg, uh, as the movie portrays, had a pretty nasty split with with uh, uh, with Assange. And yeah. uh, so, yeah, I have a really important question, though, Chad. Really important. Really, really, really important. Like, the most important question we'll ask tonight. Okay, I'm ready. Why must the portrayal of computers, <laughs> real-world computers, in, a, in, in any sort of docudrama or anything, that, if it's supposed to be remotely related to real-life computing, why do they look so fake? Wait, you mean your computers don't work like this? No, and, and, and even <laughs> even the really high tech people like, and I make websites like I I code, I I write code, and so I'm not stupid, <laughs> and <laughs> and yet, and even people who are way beyond my level, like they actually do like low level programs, their computers don't look like that, and right. and people who write applications, their their programs and their computers don't look like that. <laughs> no, no computer in the history of anything has worked or looked or behaved the way computers in these stupid movies do. I just, why must we do this? You know, they yeah. don't, they don't make, every time you type, they don't make these little sounds, you know, these blooping and bleeping and it's just, it's all <laughs> stupid and you're supposed to be telling a real story. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's frustrating. <laughs> I was thinking that the whole time through as well. Yeah, it really makes it gives it a fake quality that you want a realistic film film to not have. Uh, that was the, I, and it, it really was distracting. 
And I suppose for some people who don't know, like like they really think computers might behave that way, it's for somebody somewhere. You know, these people get these warped ideas, and and this is where it comes from in the movies about how uh, I feel like a meme needs to be made. You know, the here's what <laughs> here's what so and so thinks I do. Here's what you think. You know, here's what I think I do, and here's what I really do. You know, right. people get these warped ideas. Like people can just come in and type a few letters on the keyboard, and they've hacked your system. That's not yeah. the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It's almost as bad as uh, like. Uh, CSI computers or other oh, crime shows. I I really liked CSI Miami for for a few seasons. It really got bad toward the end, but for a while I was I enjoyed CSI Miami. But I always hated the the you know the TVOS as I call it. You know uh-huh. we'll, we'll just oh we'll just digitally enhance these you know uh, <laughs> seven hundred <laughs> by two hundred you know three hundred images or whatever and we'll we'll just, digitally enhance them so that all the <laughs> pixels resolve in this beautiful crisp clean image it's like what I mean, right not how life works no oh and we have this really cool touch interface and we'll just fling stuff up onto the monitor over there you know it's like <laughs> come on right <laughs> uh, yes it's just a big annoyance of mine uh all right uh pacing and music uh are trying to infuse this film chad with danger and suspense the suspense that just simply isn't there yeah i agree um i, I noticed the music while uh watching and i wrote in my notes that i think i liked it uh but i liked it as the music i didn't like it as the, uh the accompaniment to the film yeah it was the wrong music for the film yeah and, i mean and- it's it, the, it's composed by Carter Burwell, uh, who did True Grit a few years ago, and uh, it seemed like a weird kind of sound for him, but uh, it, it just didn't fit into the movie very well. Well, I uh, I definitely smell director interference with the uh, with the score because um, I'm trying to remember. There's another film that that Carter Burwell uh, did. Uh, of course, he did, he did, twi- Twilight. He did Twilight, which I didn't like his Twilight score, but then he did Breaking Dawn, which wasn't bad. I'm trying to think. There was something else. Okay, he's the he's uh, doing Thor: The Dark World. Um, I wanted to say that he did some other Marvel movie, didn't he? Do um, I don't see it here though, so I must be I must no. be mistaken. Okay. Um, so and he's done several other uh, films here that I'm seeing that that people would know of. Um, yeah. So I mean, he's done. Uh, he's it's not like I'm unhappy with some of his other work. He did Conspiracy Theory, um, which I I liked. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I really smell director interference here and in trying to infuse the film and trying to put the film in a genre that it never should have been shoehorned into. Right. That, that's my opinion. And I, so it's, it's hard for me to judge because you're saying Chad, that you like the score on its own. Did you, did you like download it or were you talking about you were able to do that separation in the theater? I separated it in the theater. Okay. I, I'm not able to do that um, personally. So, And, and uh-huh. just my general disdain for what they're trying to do will probably prevent me from ever liking the soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, uh, Carter Burwell is not one of my favorite composers, and so I didn't bother buying the soundtrack. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, why, Chad, were there as almost as many opening logos as World War Z had? Why? <laughs> I, I didn't notice it this time around. I, I liked the opening credits not uh the this sort of the, the transition yeah, yeah. of technology over time i thought that was cool yeah but, that, uh, that was actually the, probably the coolest part of the film i'm talking about before that though yeah i didn't particularly notice it yeah i don't know if you remember world war z had uh about 12 opening logos oh i remember that and then it did them all over again once the actual opening yeah. credits started yeah this the, this is why i say it's almost as bad as world war z it didn't do them over <laughs> again but it's like okay we get it you all are involved you're making this film you know 
go away and let me watch the film. It <laughs> right. was, it was like, I don't mind one or two, but goodness sakes. Um, I know that's a little bit nitpicky, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, we didn't really spend much of time with Assange. I mean, for a film about Assange and I know it's written from Daniel Berg's perspective and that makes him sort of the protagonist, but I felt like we didn't really get to know Assange that well. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think that might be one of the ironies of the film. I don't know if irony is the right word, but, um, the the point of WikiLeaks is to sort of reveal privacy, to unhinge it a little bit, to um, get information out to people. And then here we have Assange who's leading it, who started it, and we don't know very much about him at all. Yeah, the, and that that's actually one of the ironies in real life. I mean, I think that's yeah. true of real life is that Assange is not – not as a lot is or was – I should say was known about him. I think a lot more is known about him. Uh, but But – I don't think, to, in his defense, I don't think he was ever trying to hide it. He just wasn't a very well-known person. Right. And, I mean, in in that sense, I think it is sort of smart of the filmmakers and uh, Cumberbatch to not make assumptions about his life, yeah. I guess. Um, so, in that sense, I'm sort of glad that he remained a little bit mysterious to us throughout the film. But I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, I felt like for a film about Assange, we should have spent a little more time with Assange. And I, you know, and I, I don't, I don't agree, Chad. I feel like they did make some assumptions and maybe I'm wrong, but it, it had the ring of assumptions or untrueness when they talked about his childhood and, you know, dying yeah, his that hair. Was and that, that was very awkward. And they're, so they're giving us unnecessary details about Assange. But but you, yet in the present time, things that we do know about Assange, we're not spending a lot of time with. Um, right. So I just felt a little disconnected from Assange. For a film about his organization, it was a little odd. You know, on the plus side, we did get to spend time with a great actor, Daniel Bruhl, and his character, Daniel Berg, which was fine. And I, I liked his character. He was a great protagonist, and I think it was a great perspective to tell the story from. I just, I just wanted, I don't know, it just felt a little, a little bit off somehow there. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. I have in my notes that uh, the whatever Assange and the people with WikiLeaks say about the inaccuracies, inaccuracies of the film, I feel that's sort of irrelevant. I think the film itself is about... Uh, the availability and disclosure disclosure of information yep, and whether we should or should not be told the truth and or the full truth. Um, and so in that respect, I thought it was well done in that sense and sort of trying to approach this concept. But the film overall was just a big mess. Um, there was a weird office space sort of atmosphere with all oh, the computers yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. multiple Benedict Cumberbatches. Oh, it was and, terrible. Yeah, it was so awkward and it looked fake. I mean – did you get that too? It just seemed like it was poorly rendered or something. Like yes, that. it was definitely very cheaply done, poorly rendered CGI, and and poorly done uh, green screen or blue screen or whichever color screen they used. Um, and it just it it it, it had a very. Uh, I, I mean, I know what they were trying to do with it. They were trying to yeah. show that Julian Assange was one man operating this organization that appeared on the outside to be much bigger. I get that. Right. But it was really terrible. Like it didn't work as a metaphor. It didn't work to to like. In fact, at first, it was very confusing to me. Like, what is going on? I don't understand because they weren't showing multiple Assanges yet at that point. It was just right. like they were showing these desks and what was going on. And they're I think they're trying to put you in the headspace that Daniel Berg was in at first, which is oh, I'm working for this massive organization and nobody knows where each other's at, but there's lots of people, you know. Right. And it just didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work on any level. It, it was really very poorly executed. Yeah. And then the whole pop-up text you have mentioned here, I have them in my notes as well. 
um, they, they, were, they were like texting each other during the film and it would pop up at the bottom. And sometimes it was too fast to read everything and it was awkward the way it appeared. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it was just strange and the dialogue wasn't good and the scenes were choppy. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I, and, and probably this film wouldn't have been too long if the dialogue and everything had been better written and it wasn't so choppy, but that my, my big complaint with this film is why did we sit there as long as we did watching this film? How long is it? I, 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 I was actually just realizing I didn't. Ha- I didn't write down how long it was. I want to say it was almost two and a half hours. I just brought it up. It's uh, just over two. Okay, just over two. I was gonna say I know it was over two, but it just felt long. It felt really long. Like yeah. I, when when I'm sitting there, you know, twiddling my thumbs and resisting the urge to pick up my phone to see what time it is. Your yeah. film's too long. Yeah, I agree. It, it was a little bit frustrating. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, I told you we probably weren't going to talk about this for too long. I mean, I tend to, unless I have extremely strong feelings about, you know, and want to pick the part of the minutia of how bad it was, that's really all I have to say about the film, Chad. Yeah, I just have one uh, question to ask of you. What did you think about the ending scene uh, with the, the interview, quote unquote, with Assange? Uh, it was a little weird, but I, I, I thought that was, um, after I got over the weirdness of it, I thought it worked I did agree with the the final analysis of the film, I think, uh, you know, although they didn't like, you know, give you a conclusion, you kind of drew your own conclusions. And I kind of agreed like with where they were coming from. It's always kind of been my stance. Like I, I think that governments keep way too many secrets and I am all for harmlessly uh, trying to overcome that. But I feel like what that big leak did was not harmless. Uh, right. You know, y- yes, we're we're in a situation where things are not the way they should be, but you know, two wrongs don't make it right, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where this this film is leading you. Uh, though though the idea that Assange had was a, a good one, though he was trying to do the good thing, I think he got caught up in it, and I think he did some things that were not right. And that's ultimately where certainly Daniel Berg's opinion was, and why he worked against and shut him down. And and uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I so so the ending scene, the, the interview itself was a little strange, but I think it really kind of you know gave you kind of uh, put you in Assange's head for once in the film, uh, you know. Yeah, I think it was interesting that they, in a way, they acknowledged the criticisms that Assange had. I, do you was there any sort of post production extra filming done where they added that? Um, I I really don't know. Because, you know, we've been reading uh, these interviews and these um, uh, comments from Assange about how there was communication between him and Cumberbatch in the very beginning process. And he'd leaked the script way back when and talked about the inaccuracies and stuff like that. And so it was weird that they had this interview tacked on to the end of the film um, where he sort of acknowledged that a film was being made and his opinion on it real quick. Um, and so in I, I don't know whether to sort of praise that they acknowledged that uh, Assange's opinion in the film or uh, does that make sense? You know, I, I think it's a plus. I, I I think it is. I, I felt like it could have been handled a little better, but I I do think it's a plus. Yeah. And and like you said, it it gave us an opportunity to sort of get into his head. And so in that sense, I liked that too. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I feel a little bit this way, the same way about Assange as I do about the crewmen of Captain Phillips uh, uh, of the of the Marisk, Alabama, which is, you know what? It was a little bit critical of Assange. And therefore, I think his opinion, of course, is going to be somewhat. Uh, can, can I can I use the word invalid? 
Yeah. Uh, um, I, I think that that's a little bit like, like we don't, he, he's not taking criticism well. Right. I think is, is what it amounts to. And See, I, I didn't realize that uh, this was based on a book written by somebody who had been part of WikiLeaks. I thought it was just something that they sort of decided to make. They did a little bit of research on Wikipedia or something like that, or that, that's the way Assange made it sound. And uh, <laughs> right I, now that I know that it was sort of based on a quote unquote partner's book, um, it, it really does sort of bring a little bit more legitimacy to the film. Yeah. And, uh, however and, badly or poorly uh, it was executed, um, there is some truth to it in the sense that it it's from an insider to the organization. Right, exactly. And and, and you're right. I, I, we should be, and I, I, I didn't do a good enough job setting this up, so we'll do it here at the back end. But I, I want to separate my um, – my opinion of the accuracy of the film from the execution. My complaints are with the execution of the film. Like right. I want, I want this film to be made differently. Not that I disagree with the conclusions or the story. And and I do think because it's based on a book written by someone who was on the inside who had a major falling out with Assange. Uh, you know, of course, his opinion can be colored by his falling out with Assange, as Assange is colored by his falling out with Daniel Berg. So, um, but but on the whole, I tend to think that this is probably a a, a fairly accurate representation. Uh, is is you know, and, and who can be sure about these things, right? I mean, somebody other than us. But it, right. it, it it rang somewhat true, I suppose, in its representation of these things. Yeah. So, what would you uh, what would you rate this film, Chad? What are your final thoughts here? Well, as much as I enjoyed Benedict Cumberbatch and Daniel Bruhl, um, the film itself brought it down. Um, so I'm pretty middled on this film, and so I'm giving it a two two and a half even. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be a little harder on it just just because I I really felt like it was such a squandered opportunity, uh, and I'm going to give it two out of five, so a little less than neutral uh, on the film. Uh, and I'm I'm actually still being kind to it according to the uh, tomato meter, although I haven't done the math. I'm always bad at the percentage math because they do a percentage rating. Uh, the uh-huh. tomato meter, the um, the critics are giving it 38 uh, uh, percent. You're about you're in the it, ballpark. I'm in the ballpark. You, okay. you would be 40 percent. OK, well, there you go. Well, the audience uh, overall is 45 percent. Uh, so not not doing well and uh, obviously a huge box office bomb. So, right. Uh, you know, eh, well, whatever. Uh, it, it was what it was, and I'm disappointed by it. But, yeah, same here. Yeah, it's, so, it's it's one lone flop in the midst of a lot of great films so far. Yeah, finally we've had. I mean, it's been a been a kind of a slump of a summer. But we're we're coming out of it, and we've had we've got some great films coming up. We've had some great films before this. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we've had Captain Phillips and Gravity and Prisoners, uh, The Way Way Back. We've had some good films. Yeah. So. Well, uh, so next week, uh, Chad, we're going to be reviewing Escape Plan. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm actually kind of excited. I'm uh, looking forward to it. I, I have this nagging feeling I'll probably be disappointed, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to to it. I mean, I, and I've never looked forward to a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger film before. So we'll see. Uh, and then we have some really good films coming up after that. Uh, I'll just give you a couple on the schedule here. Ender's Game comes out on November 1st, and we'll be reviewing it shortly thereafter. Thor The Dark yeah. World, November 8th, and then we'll hit that one. Uh, the Book Thief, November 15th, and then The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, November 22nd. We have a really good lineup scheduled. Hopefully, we're also going to get uh, Mike Fizzle in a couple of these uh, episodes coming up. Uh, yep. I know we've talked about it. He's mentioned his interests, so 
we'll get him. We're, uh, I've, I've tentatively scheduled him for Ender's Game. I can't promise it because I haven't actually talked to him in several weeks. But uh, he's. I always love having him on the podcast, so that'll be good. Yeah. Uh, spend all my money. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. On some pretty good films coming up. So yeah. uh, where where can people uh, keep up with you, Chad? Uh, my personal site is chadlikesmovies.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And on Twitter, you can find me at twitter.com slash chadadada. C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Yeah, make sure you get enough A-D, 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 But not too many. Yeah. All right, and so you can find me, somebody squatting on the Twitter handle, I want, so you have to go to twitter.com slash Pro. Be sure to go to Pro. The TJ Draper account is an imposter. He is not me. Um, so you can find me there on Twitter. Best place to keep up with me. I love Twitter. Um, speaking of which, TweetBot 3 came out for the iPhone today. It's pretty fun. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, so uh, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, keep up with my work on moviebyte.com. That's where I do my writing when I have time to write. Uh, I do post a little stuff, uh, at least uh, you know news items and trailers and different things every day. And sometimes I even review films when I have time <laughs> to do so. <laughs> Same here. So... Uh, so make sure you visit Movie Byte to catch, keep up with me every day there. Uh, I'm going to try to start posting a few more uh, memes uh, to the uh, Movie Byte uh, Facebook and Twitter account. So be sure to follow Movie Byte there. I posted a pretty cool one today uh, featuring Shrek and the Hulk. Uh, so uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash moviebyte. Follow uh, Movie Byte on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash moviebyte. Or even on Google+. Plus. If you, if you search for us, you'll find us. I haven't got a link on the site yet, but uh, I've been working on that account for a while. So... Uh, much as I don't like Google+, Plus, if you want to follow us there, we're there. We're wherever you want to be. So uh, <laughs> that's how you can keep up with us. The show notes, by the way, for this episode are at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 66, where you'll find all the uh, links for all the things we talked about in this episode. That's all we've got this week. Thanks so much for listening. We're out. We're out.